0: Hello, I'm Dr. Kevin Koo, chair of the AUA Residents and Fellows Committee, and I'd like to welcome you to the first podcast in a series especially for residents and young urologists. Today's episode features a panel discussion presented at the AUA 2018 Residents Forum about public policy and advocacy in urology. The panelists are Dr. Christopher Gonzalez, chair of the AUA Public Policy Council, and Dr. James Dupree, the AUA Gallagher Health Policy Scholar. The theme of our forum this year is Doing Good and Doing Well, Finding Your Way as a Urologist. We hope that the sessions and the speakers today will help you think about the steps that you can take now and in the future to empower yourself and to become advocates for your colleagues and your patients during residency and beyond. Our first session is about public policy and advocacy in urology. I'm pleased to welcome Doctors Christopher Gonzalez and Jim Dupree to discuss advocating for our patients and our specialty. Dr. Gonzalez is professor and chair at Case Western Reserve University. He's also chair of the AUA Public Policy and Practice Management Council. Dr. Dupree is assistant professor at the University of Michigan, where he is director of the Michigan Value Collaborative. He is also the 2017 AUA Gallagher Health Policy Scholar. Please welcome Dr. Gonzalez and Dr. Dupree.
1: Good morning. Just want to uh, thank Kevin for putting this together. He's doing a fantastic job. He's our new uh, holt Groove Scholar. So I want to give him a round of applause. Congratulate Kevin. <laughs> I also want to reiterate that I want to congratulate you also on I think you've picked the best field to go into. Urology is a great field. I'm an old guy, and I started my residency in 1994, and I would do it all over again. I like it that much. So this is the first. AUA that I came to is in San Francisco back then and it's very fun to come back here again so again you pick the great field we have challenges there's no question about it but at the end of the day it's 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 a sustainable field you're gonna be happy and and we, we want to talk a little bit about how we deal with some of these challenges so what is advocacy advocacy is pleading for something or trying to get something in your favor right so we advocate for whom we advocate for our patients most importantly and we advocate for ourselves so we can take care of our patients so that's what we're trying to get across today, and, and, and Jim's gonna talk a little bit about legislative asks and some of the things that we're, we're working on right now, but the question I always get is, hey, Dr. Gonzalez, how do I get involved? Well, there's lots of ways to get involved. Kevin's a good example of national scholarship, the whole group fellowship. Jim's a good example, of the Gallagher Scholar, when you get out into practice, of ways that we can, you can learn more about the AUA, you can learn more about how these things work, and, and really, the bottom line is develop yourself and in what direction you wanna go into. The way I got involved into it before these things were around is I had uh, Dr. Jack who was at the end of the hallway, Hallway A at Northwestern, and kind of yelling down the hallway, hey, the north central section needs somebody for some kind of health policy thing. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. If you're asking me to do it, I'm going to do it. But then it grows from there. So at the local level with your state is a very good idea, and also at the sectional level. And the sectional level will then push you to get involved in national things. So. One thing that we also want to talk about, and Jim's going to touch on it too, is the AUA Advocacy Summit. There are some postcards outside that I want you to take a look at, but we had the first annual uh, urology summit, and this was in March of this year, and we have another one coming up in March of next year and March of the year after that. But we had 240 urologists. That was the biggest con- uh, 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 conglomeration of urologists in washington dc ever and we had a lot we had 15 different surgical specialties along with urology we had patient advocacy groups and all eight aua sections were involved the thing i like about the 240 people that were there is 40 were what we would call young urologists so students residents fellows and also uh, uh, some younger attendings so that was fantastic so one out of every six was a young urologist and they were sponsored by either their section or by the aua so we had a matching program where if the section wanted to sponsor you they would send you and then we would say okay we're going to send another one on top of that so again getting involved at the sectional or state level is the way to get involved in this and, the, and jim's going to talk a little bit about the summit but it was a home run i think it was fantastic i think we learned a little bit how to advocate we went up to the hill made 200 different visits up on the hill added 18 co-sponsors for some of the bills that we're asking to uh have legislator support so really it was a good A very good thing. I'm going to talk a little bit later about this at the plenary session uh, about the summit. And just the feedback we got was fantastic. And the feedback from you as residents is what we got was really what keeps us going. So the last question I always get is, does advocacy work? And the answer is it does work. We've had a lot, there's a lot of things that we're involved with, but there's a lot of things that work. So you think about USPSTF. They were telling us not even a year ago, don't screen anybody for prostate cancer. Now we got that changed from a D to a C. And we've got more work to do. We want to work with men who are at higher risk, African-American men, men with a family history, but very, very important. That's advocating for our patients. And we did that along with other specialties, and we did it with our patients as well. Independent Payment Advisory Board, that's, been, that's done away with now, another victory for us. So real good things that we're doing, Euro legislation, another thing that we've actually pushed for, and that was a big victory for us. So it does work, and it can be frustrating to think about going to the Hill and nobody's listening to me and I'm just talking to an aide, but, but they do listen. But it's pressure and time. That's the things that actually get get everything done. So with that said, I want to have Jim talk a little bit about some of the legislative asks, and he's going to talk a little bit about the summit, and I think we'll make ourselves available for question and answers. So thank you for your attention.
2: So um, thanks to Chris, and obviously thanks to Kevin for putting this program together. Um, This is designed, despite the buffer of five or six rows here, uh, to be a chance for you guys to ask questions to us and talk to each other. And so as I kind of go through some of the priorities, I would encourage you, please, like if something you know, catches your interest, come up to the mic and ask, and, or come and talk to us afterwards. So my name's Jim Dupree. I work at the University of Michigan. I'm a urologist. Um, you know, I like the way Tom used his story to kind of introduce uh, himself to the, to the room here. And I'll tell you mine, and how I ended up, I guess, ultimately here today. In large part, it's because during residency, I kind of had an interest in something that I didn't really totally know what it was. I knew I kind of liked learning about stuff that was happening in D.C., I was not a formally trained health services researcher, I had no sort of formal background or training in public policy or health policy, uh, but I knew it was kind of a curiosity or an interest of mine, and I happened to be in residency with, with Chris Gonzalez, he was one of my faculty members. And um, he was writing a paper, and he sort of knew I was kind of interested in something, he's like, hey Jim, you want to help me write a couple paragraphs for this? And, You know, the best advice I can give to any of you that are curious or interested in these topics is just say yes to those opportunities. You know, they may start small. They may start with just a couple of paragraphs, but the couple of paragraphs leads to a paper. The paper leads, you know, to an application to uh, fellowships later. Um, It leads to then being invited and available and around um, for serving on a committee. A committee that may appear local or regional can eventually grow to something that you're involved in nationally. So, you know, just saying yes, doing a really good job when you... To whatever it is that you say yes to are great ways to start and get involved in this field. So one of the things that many of you can and uh, have already been involved with is advocating for certain priorities, and there's really sort of four things that I wanted to highlight. The AUA has a pretty broad list of advocacy priorities that it works on. This is just a highlight of four of them, four of them that I thought were going to be most uh, relevant to this audience. I'm not going to go through these in excruciating detail, but I want you to get a sense both for the breadth of issues that you can address in an advocacy arena within the field of urology, and also some of the details about how these things happen. Um, And as Chris said, it really is a matter of time and pressure. So we're going to talk about both some successes here and also some areas where we still have growth and opportunities. So, you know, this is a resident forum. I hope that every single person in here is passionate about resident education, cares a lot about their residencies, and the health of this field in the future. Um, One of the things that uh, uh, many of you likely already know is that the majority of residency positions in in the United States are funded by the government through a mechanism called a Graduate Medical Education, GME. the history of GME funding is that back in 1997, there was the Balanced Budget Act. Um, at the time, uh, up before 1997, growth of the funding for residency education was kind of ticking up, slowly but surely, but in 97, as part of that act, they capped resident education funding, the pool of money that would go to residents at those 1997 levels. So over the course of the past 20 plus years, there's been no increase in the number of uh, the amount of funds that the government puts into the pool of money for graduate medical education, despite growing residencies. I bet you most of you in this room are in a program that at some point was probably had less residents than it does now. And so to expand, programs have had to use clinical revenues and other sources other than the government funding. In this year, for example, you can see that there were over 35,000 medical school graduates, but only almost 32,000 residency spots. So there's a mismatch here. There's pe- plenty of people that, are going, that want to go into the field for whom there's not spots yet. And this is particularly relevant for urology. Urology is the second oldest specialty. If you look and project, the number of urologists that are retiring are far greater than those that are finishing training. So currently, that's, if you're looking for a job, that's a good thing. Once you have that job, though, the trouble is going to be finding your future partners. So this is an issue that, again, if you're going to be going into, let's say, academic medicine, you're going to care a lot about the health of your residency. If you're going into private practice, you're going to care a lot about your ability to recruit and retain future partners. And so training our field is incredibly important. The work that's being done at a federal level to try and address this is a, a bill that's been introduced both in the House and the Senate called the Resident Physician Shortage Reduction Act. It was introduced uh, almost a year ago now. and the if approved, if passed, it would increase residency slots by about 15,000 over the next five years. Um, In particular, and this is a really important part of sort of the advocacy that the urology community has done, about half of those spots would be dedicated for underserved specialties like urology, and so there would be an expansion in the number of urology residencies in the U.S., there also is some uh, other incentives that, are gonna be, that would be built into it, like a priority for rural track integration uh, to help expand our ability to reach patients in sort of non-urban areas. There's also an inclusion in here that I think is very important, which is to um, uh, sort of formally study ways that we can increase diversity in the workforce, both in those that we're training and those that are ultimately graduating. So, you know, I put four things up here that I'm going to highlight today. I truly believe, especially for this audience, that this is the most important. This is the future of our field. If we can't train residents, if we can't grow them into attendings, then uh, we aren't going to be able to serve our patients. Obviously, there's a lot of discussion at the AUAN National Meeting about research funding. Um, And in order to do the research, you know, many of you hopefully have posters or podium presentations that you are here for, you know, that requires support, support from your institution in some fashion or another. A lot of that support comes from federal mechanisms, and so the urology community, the AUA, is specifically advocating for an increase in the amount of funding that comes through both the NIH and the Department of Defense. These are incredibly important priorities for us, Um, Both of these organizations have a very strong interest in neurologic health issues, uh, both benign and malignant. And so the AUA's pressure, the sort of constant pressure up on the hill to remind those legislators that are making these decisions um, provides a future for all of us in the field and a future for us to improve our patients. Uh, Some specific examples of that is in the Department of Defense, there are these things called congressionally-directed medical research programs. This is basically something that Congress makes a list, effectively. And on that list, they say, all right, for the next couple of years, here's the medical conditions that we want the DOD to particularly invest in research. And so what you need is you need someone from your organization, someone on behalf of your patients, talking to those legislators and saying, hey, when you make that list, let's not forget about patients with spinal cord injury. Let's not forget about patients that have bladder or kidney cancer, things that are particularly relevant to a Department of Defense or a veteran's population. And then if you think that there's Issues that should be on that list that aren't, come be a part of the team that's going up to the hill and reminding legislators about that. So this is how we're sort of pushing ahead uh, from a research agenda that we hope will, again, benefit our patients, and in the middle, benefit you as well. The ask that we're doing is to urge Congress to increase funding for the NIH, but then also to expand those Department of Defense research programs. The next thing, and Chris mentioned the United States Preventative Services Task Force. uh, The mouthful abbreviation is USPSTF. So the history, of course, is that as part of the Affordable Care Act, this body was tasked with saying, well, what kind of things is Medicare going to cover? What screening uh, uh, tools, what screening tests are things that Medicare beneficiaries are going to have an absolutely free access to? No copays, no out of pocket expenses. Uh, The flip side is that this body also had the authority, optionally, to say that Medicare will not cover a given task. And back in 2012, that's ultimately what they wanted to do for PSA. They gave it a D recommendation which said that it was not recommended. There was no subtlety there. There was no one, for example, in my family, my father, two of my uncles, and my grandfather had prostate cancer. I'm at high risk. There was sort of no acknowledgement that men at high risk should have access to this, even if it doesn't necessarily apply to other people. We thought this was really unfortunate and dangerous potentially to many of our patients so this has been an incredible focus of the aua for the past four years or for excuse me for even longer for about six years now and the urology community was simply asking to be involved in the discussion so originally designed this task force was uh, there were sort of walls that were put up to prevent specialists from being part of that discussion i think all of us would want informed people in the room when they make these kind of decisions but that was actually excluded from the process the good news is, is that as a result of the advocacy of the AUA and many other organizations, that's no longer the case. In a recent revision, the AUA was actually allowed to nominate an individual to sit and be part of the discussion, someone with expertise in the topic, and there was also increased access by patients. As you can imagine, there were a lot of patient groups that were not so happy with the idea that another uh, group of men that's high risk is African-American men, that they were going to be denied access to uh, an important uh, and necessary screening. So the update, and this is pretty hot off the presses, and I hope many of you have already seen this through other avenues, is that the USPSTF has actually improved its recommendation. Chris mentioned earlier, it's from a B to a C. C ultimately is an individual decision between patients and doctors. This is progress. Um, it not, it's, sort of, it's not exactly in the recommended category that we think it should be, at least for some of our patients. And they have now started to acknowledge high risk categories, and we think this is good progress. I mentioned earlier that there was a lot of kind of discussion about wanting to be involved in the process and although that they allowed a urology expert to be part of it this time around, you know, we want to make sure that that's uh, sort of a mandated part of their process moving forward. And so there is a house bill that has been introduced to improve accountability and transparency uh, of the United Service Task Force. Um, It would require them to publish plans, to include appropriate experts, to have recommendations open for public comment. It was reviewed uh, on the House. There's not progress yet, but as Chris said earlier, this is not about just throwing something up once and expecting it to get passed. These things require kind of consistent pressure and effort. So, I want to just close by, you know, a question that many of you may be asking, which is how to get involved. So uh, Chris mentioned earlier the 2019 Advocacy Summit. Here are the dates for it, and there are uh, cards and flyers outside. Uh, Brad Stein is actually here um, and would be happy to answer questions, as would uh, would I certainly. Uh, Brad and Josh actually were very helpful to me in putting these slides together, so I personally want to thank them for, for helping assist in putting this together. And the way to get involved is just make it known. Just let someone at your institution know, let someone at the AUA know that this is a topic that you're interested in. And just wait for an opportunity to come up, say yes, and do a good job. So thanks very much. We would be very happy to take any questions that you may have. Uh, So if you've got something itching in the back of your brain that you'd feel like you're not sure about, come to the mic, please, and ask us.
0: Special thanks to Dr. Gonzalez and Dr. Dupree and to the AUA Residents and Fellows Committee for organizing the forum. For more information about our committee or getting involved in advocacy, you can visit us on the AUA website at auanet.org.